far as that time thing goes, I'm a lawyer, <laughs> just in case, you know. But I haven't really timed this, so there could be time left at the end. Well, one other thing, um, Malcolm says that he's, he's not a musical guy. As I notice, he starts all the songs here when we're singing during the communion time, so he, he must be pretty, pretty accomplished at it. So. When, I, when Malcolm and uh, Aaron asked me to do uh, my testimony, I started thinking first about why do you do this? Like, what, why, why do we even do testimonies? You hear about it a lot. People are asked, give your testimony. And the first thing you think about is, well, gee, I want to know about this guy or this person, how they came to faith, and, and it's a good story, and you get to learn a little bit about their, their journey. But I don't really think that's the value of it, because you're going to kind of forget that or, you know, be interested for a time. But I think a, a testimony mainly involves proof, proof that this is true. Okay, so as I go through and I look at my life, uh, the Word of God is building, and it's I'm becoming more confident in it. And as you'll see of all the things that I've gone through, uh, as I look at Scripture, I understand it to be more true every day. So the point is, you want it to be true for you. So if you see that it's been true in someone's life, you have confidence that God does what He says. So I don't really look at it as just a story of how things went for me, but it's a story of how this works. It really means what it says. And We'll see, you know, as I get through it. Um, for some people, a testimony involves a like a kind of a long life of uh, rebellion and sin, and then they get to a certain age. You know, maybe they were a biker or they were a drug addict, and it's a great story that they were saved later on by many people that came in their life and, and did things. Um, and that's a f- fabulous testimony. We've all heard those. Then there's uh, the story like mine where you grow up in a Christian family. You hear the gospel early and you come to believe it at a fairly early age. Well, okay, we're done. Come on, Brian. You know, you come up. <laughs> but that's not really how it works because then the real story is how that salvation is tested and proven, okay, after that point. Because I think that's really most of our journey is after we become saved is does this thing really prove who we say we are? And do we prove who we say we are as we go through life? So uh, starting out, as I said, I grew up in a Christian family here in Hollywood. My uh, mother and uh, dad uh, went to First Baptist Church of Hollywood, which is where I went uh, at age 11. we had a pastor, his name is David Holt. Some of you may have heard his name. He uh, gave the gospel, and I responded. We had a, at that church an invitation where you would go up and, and pray with the, the pastor or one of the uh, deacons uh, to receive Christ. And I did that, all right? And now, you know, that was the time that I recalled really understanding the gospel and, and putting my faith in Christ, the rest of my story, the rest of what I have to say, is really a review of how the following verses, I think, have been applied in my life. And I'd just like to look at three places to give you a, a framework of, of what, 
how I view this and, and, and going forward. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 13.5 real quick. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? That's one that I want to keep in mind as we go through this. Philippians 2. Let me get to the right. I'm sorry. Yes, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And finally, if you would just look at Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And you, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the, love Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more... Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, keep those in mind, because I really believe that that's really how uh, this story reflects itself in scripture uh and a lot of it was that last one discipline because i really needed it and i still do i know but you'll see as i go through this how god used that so after age 11 i go through the school years public school uh here in, in hollywood i went to Oak Ridge elementary and then mcnichol and south broward just local public school all that that goes with that but essentially, the way my life worked was, as many of my friends in the church, we had two lives, okay? We would go to church, we would, you know, say the right things, go to Sunday school, do the lesson. We were all smart enough to get the right answers. But when we were in school with our friends, we did what we wanted, okay? That's what we did. So to say that you would have looked at me at age 15 or 17 or whatever and said whoa this guy he's a believer no you wouldn't have you wouldn't have said that you wouldn't have had any evidence uh that you know yeah this guy is truly a, a believer in christ and that's that's the most important thing to him that's just the way it was so we need to stop for a minute because that's that's that was a large part of my life uh early on although i did accept christ okay that there, there was no evidence of it so, at this point in time, I'd like to just look at one other scripture and then talk about 
what I think it means to be at that point in your life. Second Peter 1, 1 through 11. Let's look at that. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these... He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corrupting that is in the world by lust. Now for that, this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins therefore brethren be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing for you choosing you for as long as you practice these things you will never stumble, for in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So here's the question. Uh, if I had had any cause to think about that at this point in my life, say when I was 15 or 16, there is absolutely no way that I would ever have had any basis to be certain of the calling of Christ in my life, because none of those qualities were present in any significant form, nor were they increasing, nor were they evidence of my salvation. So I think it's a, a, a real uh, issue that we all face when we, we get saved early. Someone might say, well, you know, when did you know for sure that you were saved? Okay? I don't think a lot of us have a real, real good answer to that question. I think we know I made a profession of faith, but if you had looked at me at that time, there would have been a real question, who was I? Certainly not a follower of Christ, but I could say the right things, and if you asked me if I was a believer, I could have told you the gospel. But I would have had no confidence in my faith. And this is when it gets difficult, because even though I would have had no confidence in my faith, the fact is... The fact is, I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I didn't know it at this moment. I had no evidence in my life. Well, God needed to do some things to me, effectively, to show me who he was and who I was. So let's go to college. High school, uh, just details of high school, I did well, you know, in a public high school setting. I was salutatorian, senior class president, did a lot of that stuff. Everything was good, popular, whatever. Went to college thinking, you know, as they say now, I'm all that, right? Okay, so I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, which is good because 
eventually I met my wife. God, God knew where he was bringing me. But uh, I would say that uh, failure is a tremendous start to sanctification. And I went there at the beginning of September. By the end of September, I had to take a leave of absence, and I came home. It was hard. Too hard. I was so in over my head. I thought I was going to just waltz in there and, you know, I had done so well and gotten all these good grades and uh, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was much too into the social life and all that that entailed and I, I couldn't handle it. So uh, we talked to the, I was in the engineering school. My parents came up. We talked to the, the dean and he agreed to let me take a leave of absence, which he didn't have to do. He could have said, you know what? It's not working. Uh, go go somewhere else. But God was gracious there, and I came home and uh, in failure. I mean, when you come home from what I thought I was, and you're back where all your friends are and all that is going on, uh, it was devastating. It was a it was a very uh, humbling's not the word. It was complete embarrassment, and soon led to uh, depression. Uh, I. I really didn't want to do anything, really. I thought I was a failure. And I, I, I took some community college classes in accounting to kind of get some education foothold. And it was at this time that, you know, really God decided, now you're going to see what, you know, hey, you can't fool around with me. Because I was his. Now, I would make this statement. And I've watched people who fail. We've all seen them. I believe failure works differently for believers and non-believers. Some people who are non-believers, it's amazing how the water can just flow off their back, and it doesn't affect them. But God uses failure differently in the life of a believer, and he can make it hit them a lot harder, perhaps, than someone else might have been hit by it. It hit me very hard. And I had no confidence, and I also learned at this time that as you sink into yourself and become more withdrawn and depressed and all that, that is Satan's moment, okay? Satan is the prince of the power of the air, okay? When Paul said God sent a messenger from Satan to buffet him, okay, he wasn't just being figurative. It wasn't just language to say, oh, you know, things weren't going well for me. I believe that the Bible teaches Satan is directly active in attacking believers because it says that you know it tells us in many places that he has you know the the darts and the this and the that that we know that he comes after us but by the same token god is sovereign and although satan is allowed to do things in our lives okay they are under the control of a sovereign god in the life of a believer so what was happening to me as i was as i was drifting in in my own self-absorption there were certain things that occurred. Uh, I would call them, you know, like uh, phenomenon or things that, that I saw that I thought I saw or that scared me, that I thought Satan was out there, and I believe that he was. Now, I don't know the degree to which he was doing X, Y, or Z, but my perception was that was of, of fear and that Satan was, was active and present in certain scenarios in my life. Uh, it wasn't like, you know... I saw him, but he, he allowed things to occur, uh, and, and I think he's, he's got power 
to allow things to occur and to cause things to occur to use it to cause us fear and to make us feel more like we are not a child of God. That was his objective. So uh, as I'm going through this time, uh, I'm experiencing these things, but I'm plodding through. I'm going to you know, this class, and I'm feeling like I'm kind of going through the motions because God's done with me. Like, I failed. I clearly am not a believer. I'm a fraud. I never showed any signs of my faith. And uh, I'm just, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not a a life that I would have ever expected or, or wanted. So, but what happens as time goes on, God starts to kind of bring my reasoning back to me. And I start to get, I start to learn some things about him, but also I start to get some confidence in my studies. And as I get to that point, uh, I reapply to go back to University of Pennsylvania. Like it's been a time of, of uh, you know, sort of going backwards, but uh, so like God sort of took his foot off, right? And said, you know, you, it's okay now. You know, you can, you know, I've done some things here, but it, it's okay for you to go back. So I went back to the University of Pennsylvania and it's transferred to the business school to, st- to study engineering really wasn't what I was cut out for, as it turns out. And I, I went to study business. And it is at, at that time that God then gave me a church. Okay, my sisters were up there at a church that uh, was started by some people from the Florida Bible College, but I began to attend a church uh, in Newtown, Pennsylvania, which is a bit, a bit of a ways from where I went to school. But it was the first time in my life where I was part of a church, not just a kid attending, where it mattered. Like I wanted to learn the Word of God, and I was being taught the Word of God at a very high level because some of the teaching there was very good. It is where I met my wife uh, near the end of college. Uh, she was also attending there. But the point of this church was it was when I started not only to learn the Word of God, but I served. I got chances to work with the youth ministry, and I saw that God could use me, that I really, really did understand that what I uh, you know, said I believed, I really did. I really did believe it. And the worst part of what I had gone through wasn't that I didn't believe it was true. It was that I thought he was done with me. Okay? And that was really the worst part. So we go through that, and uh, God multitasks in our lives. And one of the other things he did at this time in my life, uh, which stands out to me, reminding me of what we were uh, talking about, about the Word of God and how uh, every part of it is, is important. We were talking about that on the way here with my kids about Genesis and creation and what we've been studying and how, you know, it's all truth. And I was in a, a class at the University of Pennsylvania. I took, this would be interesting, biblical archaeology at an Ivy League institution. Okay? That's kind of counterintuitive, all right, as you'll find out. But I thought it would be great. I get to learn about the Bible and about archaeology. And, you know, this guy's probably some famous professor guy, and this would be great. And the course was somewhat interesting, but there was this moment in time when he told us uh, that... Uh, he was going to talk about something, and it was going to be the myth of the flood. Okay, that's how he raised it. And I had never spent any time in my life thinking about the flood. 
just didn't care. It was like not an issue for me. But this guy made me mad. He was arrogant, and it was obvious that he thought, you know, there was no place for God in his life or, or ours, and he was going to tell me that the Bible story of the flood was simply a myth. So I listened to this, and God used it to just get me and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and I thought about my grade school and my middle school and, you know, millions of years and all the stuff we were, it was foisted upon us. But it wasn't until that moment when this, you know, you know, stuffy professor got me mad. And I said, I, I got to look into this. I, I've got, I've got to know whether I'm just believing some fairy tale or does, does science back this up? So he, he told me we have to write a paper. So I said, great, I know what I'm writing about. And I studied, for the first time in my life, the scientific evidence for Noah's flood. And I went about writing my paper on this, and just my eyes were open to the science, which some of you are familiar with. But what it did was it made me look at something that I had never done before and realize that God's word is true. It is really true. And as I looked at the science and I studied it, I realized the evidence is so much more overwhelming for a, a, a created earth and a flood that it, it was like, how could they believe otherwise as I went through it? But I wrote the paper, and, and he didn't like it a whole lot. But, and I ended the paper because uh, I, again, remember, did I tell you I was mad at this guy because he made me mad? So... Uh, I, I found a verse that has stuck with me forever. Everyone asks me what's my favorite New Testament book. It's Second Peter. And why is it Second Peter? If you would go to Second Peter 3, 3 through 7, I put this in my paper as a little message to my professor uh, because it was exactly applicable to not only what I had studied, but what he believed. So... Second Peter 3, three through 7. Know, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by this word, the he present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Here's my paper. You know, that was the last thing. I just, just so you know... This is where we are. And, you know, the rest was full of, you know, science and things like that. I lost that paper. I wish I could find it. But I've never had a paper in my life where there was no comments written in the whole paper except at the end. And he basically said, you know, pygmies in Africa have their belief systems. You have yours. I hope it works for you. You know, C or whatever, you know. I didn't care what I got. I, I mean, it, the, the, book, the, the thing was written because of, of what God wanted to teach me. But what... I realized from studying Second Peter was the system that these people have foisted upon us was completely predicted by God. 
And when you say, well, what do you mean? It was where it says all things continue as they do from the beginning of creation. That's uniformitarianism. The whole theory of evolution is foundationed upon that theory. And God said, this is what they're going to do. And it's, it's, it was just to me eye-opening that, that the truth of, of a creation was just as important as the truth of Jesus Christ returning. And Jesus himself said, uh, you know, if you want to know if Jesus believed in the flood, he says, as it is in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So it was, a, it was just a, a, a seminal moment in my life that has only, you know, increased my faith in the Word of God and we got to go to the Creation Museum and, and see that, which was a, a, a treat for me. But uh, one of the things we saw there that impacted me, because you'll hear people say, this isn't that important. You know, just get the gospel right. Everyone needs to agree on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll agree to disagree on everything else. Right? You've heard that? Anybody heard that? I've heard that. Okay, fine. So we've heard that. It's not true, and there was a case study of a guy. They wrote a, a little piece in the Creation Museum about a guy named um, Charles Templeton. Has anyone ever heard of Charles Templeton? I hadn't. Charles Templeton was an evangelist who, back in the early days of Billy Graham, was with him at all these evangelistic rallies. He was actually more well-known early on than Billy Graham as an evangelist from Canada. Well... They show us in this museum that at the end of his you know, life, he wrote a book on why he rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason he rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ is because he couldn't reconcile science with the study of creation. Now you say, well, then it is important, isn't it? If it can cause a guy to reject the gospel, right? Something must be connected. So... I really believe that it, you know, it just impressed on me that the Word of God is uh, critical everywhere. All truth is important, and it's not negotiable. And I learned that, interestingly enough, by taking a class at a secular university because I was forced to, to study something I would never have, have studied. After college, uh, I got my uh, CPA license and I began to work in Philadelphia as an accountant and began dating my wife. We dated for many years. Everyone thinks we dated way too long before we got married. That's because she says I could never commit to but I finally uh, did and we were married in uh, 1988 in Pennsylvania and then at the time oh, I was already in law school. I had left uh, after my accounting job and then uh, gone to law school back down here in Florida to uh, change careers. I wanted to be a lawyer. And so uh, we got married and lived in Gainesville. Uh, we just went back to see our little apartment uh, recently. And uh, that uh, brought us ultimately back down to South Florida because I got a job with a law, big law firm down here. And we ended up living in Weston, in the early years of Weston, uh, believing that, uh, you know, we were going to have a, a family. And we actually moved next to where there was an elementary school uh, because we thought, you know, if we're going to live here and have kids and, and all of that, we want to be in a, a great place for kids. Well, 
you know, we waited a while and then we tried to have kids and we didn't have any. You know, so what do you do when you don't have kids? You go get checked out, you know. We were fine. I mean, as far as they say, we just weren't having kids. So, you know, it was at that moment in our life we sort of said, you know what, the way God's Word is, we're a family and you don't have to have children to be a family. And we really believed that. There were some things we learned. And then uh, God said, nope, you're going to have some. And uh, so we did, and uh, we just kept having them, okay? We just kept going there. And so we had our first one in 1995, Grace, and we, we, uh, we realized before, I'm sorry, before we uh, had her, we moved from Weston thinking we weren't going to have kids to a place where we wanted to live because you didn't need to worry about kids. Well, as soon as we moved there, that's when we had kids. I forgot that stuff. So we, we had kids. So we lived in East Hollywood in an old Spanish-style house that was full of problems and all of that. And uh, so then we had kids, then we had Rose, and then we realized, well, we don't want to live here anymore. So uh, end of the day, we ended up over in Davie, all the details of that, and having more kids. And so uh, we... Uh, because of a, an Awana program, got uh, directed towards a church that we came from, from, from here. It was the Hollywood Hills Alliance Church over in Hollywood. And it was a church that we really felt at home at. We, our kids, you know, kind of blossomed there. It was small. It was a family. It was a very good church for us. And we loved the, we loved the church that, that we were at. Uh, and... I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and you know why we ended up leaving there, but we need to talk about a very important year, <clears throat> a very bad year, but yet also a very necessary year, 2005. In 2005, I worked at a very large law firm, uh, as I said, that I had come to from law school, and things were you know going fine there, uh, doing well, you know, advancing, and. Some events occurred. Effectively, what the event was, was there was a partner of mine who had left, and he came back, okay? And this guy was like the kind of guy you just didn't trust further than you could throw him. But he was good at what he did, very good, still is, and uh, was just, he was the world, okay? And I was there trying to, you know, live like a believer, and, and I, you know, doing my job the best I could. Well, this person, when he came back... <clears throat> He aggressively did some things that were just unethical and wrong, and it was against me. And so what happened was I took a stand. I said, this isn't right. I went to my partners, you know, the closest to me, and I said, this isn't going to work. This guy's doing these things that are they're just wrong, and, and we need to deal with it. Well, in big organizations, when, when other people are around that can make a lot of money, sometimes they don't care about that stuff. So what happened with this guy was... They told me basically, Joe, you know what? You need to work it out. You need to work it out, and you need to just get along, and you're going to sweep this under the rug and let it all go. And then I started realizing that the people that I worked for were not going to support me, that I had lost my confidence in, in the people that I worked with. And, it, you know, when you're partners with people and you lose that confidence, uh, it, you don't go back. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come back. So... I had to make the decision to leave that law firm. 2005, I made the decision to leave that law firm and went uh, to a very small firm in, in Fort Lauderdale uh, and was completely lost in terms of uh, 
handling the transition to that place. And as I felt this caving in on me, I quickly doubted everything I was doing. I did not believe I had done the right thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was I took a stand, but now I'm 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 I've done something, you know, that that is not uh what God wanted me to do, right? You know, that's kind of what you do. You say, you know, you're doing things and you made the wrong decision and and it was like kind of like it was back in college that time. I quickly sunk into doubt, depression, fear and it was bigger now because I had a family, and I, I had a lot of responsibilities, and that made it a lot worse for me. And this was the worst time of my life, and it was the worst time of my wife's life, but God used her miraculously to care for me during this time and to get through, you know, just to get through, not knowing if I was going to be okay, if I was going to come out of this, if I was going to be able to ultimately handle it and it was the it was an, an in the balance sort of time in our lives and what what also happened during this time is i realized that again the satanic kind of f- concept of you know god wants or satan wants me to my faith not to be real his job was to just like he did with job to say see god this is not legitimate and I remember at that time believing again that how could I be a believer when this hit me so hard and having the overwhelming feeling like you know this is true I know it's true it's it's the only truth there is but somehow I've disqualified myself from it because of my failure and my sins and my lack of belief and inability to handle what was going on in my life and it again it was it was a a time that uh when it was over god like released me almost like he did with nebuchadnezzar when reason returns you know that's kind of how i i I felt about it and i'll never forget the verse uh, I was reading, you know, tr- you know, as you're going through this, you're s- reading the Word of God, and you're going, this is nothing's making sense, and why am I doing this? And I would sit down and read the Bible, and, you know, you've had those times when you just, over time, you don't understand what God's t- telling you. Well, Psalm 97.10 is a verse that God used uh, while I was, was reading, reading s- Scripture one morning, if you would go there. Because he knew what I needed to hear from him. Psalm 97.10 says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The part of that verse that mattered was the part that says he preserves the souls of his godly ones. Because what it showed me was, he was in charge of my soul. He preserves your soul in spite of who you are, okay, and how you fail. If you're his, if you're his, he preserves your soul. And uh, it was such a relief to read that, you know, and to know it. The other thing that it said to me was, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Like, 
what God was doing to me through a lot of these events, and this one in particular, he got me out of a place where there was wicked people. They were wicked. And, and he used a lot. He did a lot of things. He brought me low to teach me other things, but he got me out of there. That firm is now bankrupt. It took him less than six years. They were the biggest firm in Fort Lauderdale. They're gone. Right? Now, why did that happen? There's a lot of reasons. You know, the market went bad and what have you. But the point about it was God removed me from there. Okay? And he did other things uh, at the church that we were at in Pennsylvania. Right after I left that church, okay, because I went back to law school, that church basically had a catharsis of evil arise up inside it, okay, that I had no idea was going on when I was there. And that church went through horrible, horrible convulsions. But God basically said, not for you. And he, and he took me out of there. You know, So he not only did a lot of things in my life, but he protected me while he was doing that. And I, I think that this verse says that. He delivers us as his children from, from evil. Uh, the final phase uh, that I'd like to talk about is the church that we were at. Okay, Again, we were at this church, the Hollywood Hills Alliance Church, for many, many years and loved it. Uh, uh, what happened in this church, an issue came up where a particular individual was um, basically telling, trying to tell the church what not to teach from the Word of God. And I was directly involved because I was teaching the word of God in this church and we were being told by this person we don't think you should teach this and there were other things that happened that in our minds as elders at the time required church discipline I, I know this church does church discipline I've actually was here once when you all were doing it well we were going to do that and as an I was an elder at this church at the time and we were going through that process but what happened was the other elders and my pastor said no we're not going to do it. We're going to do this and not what the Word of God said. And it was horrible because I didn't want to leave there. This was my church. But it was obvious that I had to go, that we had to go. And uh, nothing has ever occurred since then that's even remotely convinced me we made the wrong decision. It has only been confirmed through time. But, but again, it was because I took a stand that was not popular, and it was not easy. And for, for the very beginning parts of it, I pretty much stood alone on, on an issue. And what, what it taught me was, this is your only guide. If, if you don't follow this, you really have nothing. You just have opinions, and you have, you know, nice thoughts but uh, that's what got us here okay uh, we saw this church we uh, came back many times we listened to the teaching and really by far in 99.9 percent of what what made us come here was the teaching the word of God is taught by a lot of people here uh, deeply and accurately and uh, we saw the love then of the people and all that and the way the, the, the elders are, are here. But for us, uh, it was so much about you hold the Word of God at the highest level. And uh, we do too. You know, we do too. So, whoa, look, 7 o'clock. 
Sorry, Brian. <laughs> anyway, that's that's the story. Uh, we're just real happy to be here and to worship here. Closing prayer? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for uh, tonight that I could just tell... Uh, these other believers, Lord, what you've done in my life, and I'm grateful for it, and I praise you that you would even do that with me, a sinner, Lord, and I just uh, ask that those who heard this, Lord, that it would encourage them that that they also can trust that you preserve them, Lord, because you preserve us who you've called, and we just thank you for that, and ask that you be with us as we go, give us safety, uh, and Bring us back uh, on Wednesday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.